Welcome to the second episode of the Goner Records podcast. Today we're talking to Lawrence Matthews, Memphis artist who has been recording as Don Lifted does art, murals, and installations around town, and also makes movies. He recently completed a film about uh, employment, unemployment, and factory work in Memphis called The Hub. It's always a blast to talk to Lawrence. He's uh, got a ton of projects, ton of ideas. One of the most creative people that I've run into in a long time in Memphis. And it was really interesting to talk to him about uh, how he looked at Memphis and, and uh, sort of the opportunities for, for young artists in town. So let's listen to Zach and I talking with Lawrence Matthews. I'm Eric. I'm here with Zach and Lawrence Matthews. We're talking about Lawrence's uh, latest film, The Hub, and a lot of other stuff that he's been doing. Um, very prolific artist around town wow. in lots of different mediums. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank yeah. I have no idea how you have time to do everything you do. So thanks for I, taking the time to talk with us. Pacing. Yeah, pacing. I guess. I actually wanted to talk to you about that because mm-hmm. uh, uh, we can get to that. But uh, yeah. it is impressive how, how much stuff you get done. I appreciate it. <laughs> I'm going to reveal it's not going to feel as impressive. <laughs> well, good. I need to know because I get nothing done. I have ten million balls in the air and nothing really finishes. So, please make us all feel better about the fact uh, that we get so little done, and uh, you seem to be killing it in a million different directions. Well, we can start with that. I mean, what is your process for for uh, for you know when you start a project and how do you how do you get it done? I think. Um... So for projects and stuff, also glad to be here. This is dope. Thanks. Glad to be talking to y'all. Glad to see y'all faces. It's been a hundred years, it feels like. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Good seeing yeah. you too. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But uh, in terms of process and stuff, normally what I'm doing is like, I'm pacing projects out. So like, I'll have like a plan for something that may last like two years worth of time. So like, I know when we released Alero, I probably started recording Alero at the end of like, it's like around 2015. And so we started like, well, started producing it and writing it. And then like the mixing process was a whole thing. And then everything, like it was a long while before it actually like came out. And like I was doing songs, like doing live shows and performing a few, like four or five songs from Alero, like two years, like in a two year period before it even came out. So like you kind of drag on this thing for a little while. And, you know, it was done. Like, it was done. I was working on another project while I was performing it. So when it released, I was already recording something new. And so it's kind of always like that. Like, it, it's always this kind of rolling scale of things. Like, while one thing is being released or being promoted, another thing is being created. and Or nothing is being created or whatever. Because, I like, I stopped. I'm working on a new record now, but I hadn't recorded any Don Lifted music since the beginning of 2018 and I started basically recording a new project in like November of last year. So like from, I did no, no music for that project at all. I just was doing other stuff, uh, recording the hub, like filming the hub. And then the hub itself had like a gap, like a six month gap in it. So like, there's always like this weird pacing that kind of happens that I kind of stagger everything out. So, you know, you kind of keep that flow of having some type of, I don't know, presence or whatever. Cause like these algorithms and all these things we have to deal with, it's like business owners and, and creatives and artists. It's like, you have to kind of keep doing some stuff. And if you drop off a long period of time, they just take away everything that you kind of worked for for the last six weeks or six months or whatever. And it's ridiculous. And, so, and even more now, like that is, that is now. every month it gets tougher. I mean, that is uh, uh, for, for sure. I, yeah. Let's do a quick catch up though. I mean, I think just so everybody, people that don't know Lawrence yet, yeah, as a musician, you uh, record under the, and perform under the name Don Lifted. Yes. Uh, and you've been in uh, Memphis and I think sort of on, on stage and, you know, we've, we've seen that since, uh, yeah, Alero was first one, right? So like mm-hmm. 2015. Yeah. Um, but also you're, uh, I mean, prolific in visual arts as well. So you've, you've, uh, done, um, two or three films. Now the, I saw the, the, there's the East documentary that I saw at the film festival a couple years ago too. Mm-hmm. And then the hub just came out. 
So you've done filmmaking, and then you've also had a, a bunch of uh, uh, photography and uh, visual arts, painting, um, maybe even sculpting. I mean, it feels like you're, you're all over the place doing all of this stuff, which is really amazing. That's kind of what we were starting with. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but, but when you say that, like, I get it a little bit, right? Like, as just working only, you know, mainly in, the, in, in music, mm. I, you know, you get a, a, as a band, you get through here, you work to try and get all these songs together. You finally get into the studio and record those songs. And by that time, those songs sometimes are, oh. you know, six months, a year, mm-hmm. a year and a half old. And you're tired of playing them, but that is just the time that everything's supposed to kind of get going. So it does make some sense to me that you could, um, by picking up something else, like, you know, it just maybe kind of brings life back into anything. A creative outlet in some other way might kind of help that flow rather than try and get you stuck in a rut, um, yeah. in whatever one thing you're flowing. Yeah. I think, I don't, I don't think I've ever released anything that wasn't, at least in this these like modern era of like who I am, I haven't released anything that hasn't been a year and a half old. Right. Like that's like been a thing for me. Like if I can stand this for a year, <laughs> and then it, it goes into the mixing process and then the mastering process or whatever, and then the promotion and all that stuff. If I still want to hear these records, maybe you know they're something special, I guess. But like, and that's not even counting the like recording and producing. This is like a year of just sitting on it, having it, tweaking it, doing little things to it, trying to find the world that it exists in. Um, yeah, like all of my stuff, like even the hub, like the hub, we just put this documentary out. That was, again, like I had that for a minute, like it's almost festival season again in terms of films. And it was done last year. I just did some small like edits and tweaks to it and then sat on it. I was gonna release it um, at the top of April, but then like with COVID, I just felt like I needed to hold off on releasing things for a little bit to kind of figure out what the vibe of this climate was gonna be. Because we didn't know if it was gonna extend or was it gonna be like a month thing or two month thing? Was it gonna be gone in the summer? Was it gonna be gone in the fall? And so obviously right now is worst case scenario. Like it's just infinity, uh, it seems. (laughs) And so for that reason, I had to make adjustments and try to find the right spot for it. But Speaking to like the visual art thing, like I graduated from school, uh, painting, concentration in painting, uh, studio arts major. Uh, so I mean, I knew how to do everything, photography, painting, sculpture. Um, and so that's kind of how I got quote unquote popular is from painting. Um, and I was doing music at the same time, but nobody gave a shit. Uh, and I just was grinding really, really hard. Uh, with music and so I started incorporating the arts into the music I kind of tricked people so I would like build a show as like this art installation thing and I would do that but I also would perform and then the next show like let's say the first show had I don't know 100 people because they were expecting to see some art that they were a fan of and then they got music half those people dropped off and then the next show was 50 people but then those 50 people told two other people and then the next show is like just built up, built up, and built up. And so that was when I was like doing mixtapes and shit. Like that was before Alero and all that. This is like 2014. Uh-huh. So I graduated college in 2014 uh, and then started doing recording like what would be my first commercial project shortly after that. And that's just been this era of time, this, this long era of time, uh, grinding and doing all of that stuff. Uh, but it's been weird. I just been bouncing back and forth. Like sometimes I'm really inspired to do photography. Sometimes I'm really inspired to paint. I think a lot of my painting is translated into public art now. Um, and sometimes I want to write. And then sometimes I want to write from different perspectives because I'm like technically working on two projects now. Like one for Don Lifted and one for Lawrence Matthews, uh, and they sound completely different. <laughs> uh, well, is it is it hard to try and uh, do those projects stay siloed out in your head? Um, I mean, because part of what's interesting about that is just trying to have the mind space in my head, like trying to figure this out is like how to have the mind space or talent to be able to do each of these things. But then also, how do you keep keep all of this stuff organized? Um, But but on top of that, like I've watched your performances and like just like what you were speaking to, 
Mm. Part of what's amazing about it, like when we had you out for River Series last year, you know, that was just, it was an installation. Like we, <laughs> you know, we loaded out all these TVs and then everything is up on the stage. And it was totally amazing. It's like nothing else anybody's doing. And I think maybe there's something to the fact that you've been able to sort of blend these things a little bit. But maybe you just speak a little bit to the process on each of them and what is, uh, if they're sort of singular or if they blend together and how that all works in your head. Yeah, I think I think there's some overlap for sure. Um, <clears throat> with like the visual art things and like the installation based things. I, uh, a lot of when I was in school, a lot of the work that I was making was like ready-made sculpture. So this is like sculpture from found objects and furniture and things. So like right. it kind of started there for me. And so I was doing that and then started incorporating that stuff into the music stuff I was doing because it was some overlap with like video footage and found, you know, home videos and things that I was like exploring at the time. Um, and so I started mixing those together and then they just kind of built out to what you see now, which is more like these white reform, like shaped boxes and like all these things. Whereas before, like it was burnt up, you know, old furniture from Goodwill and like found stuff on the road and like, so now it's cleaned up, but like it's the same kind of process of like, like I would love to have a video wall. Like I would love to have a video wall. I would love to have all of the cool things, but you know, we don't have that like yet, right? And the city's infrastructure in terms of like music performances and stuff for like, you know, Memphis-based acts, it's like, it's interesting, right? So it's like, what can I do to set myself apart? I already felt like I was a different type of artist because I actually was an artist. I went to art school. And I felt like, at least when I was like making more traditional, or like not more traditional hip hop, but more like rap based music, I was like, these dudes are getting on stage with a DJ and like a booth little thing with the, the drape over it or whatever with their name on it. And I was like, how can I separate myself from this? I have this whole other skill set, this video skill set, this filmmaking skill set, this uh, fine art skill set. How can I incorporate that thing to separate myself from every single other rapper in the city here who's not doing any of this stuff? And so this is like me thinking like that, 2013, 2014, 2012, trying to plan it and figure it out. Right. So once it started happening, like we talk about uh, like Crosstown and 430 all the time and like me being like the first quote unquote rapper to perform there and like using projectors and installations and stuff. You can't go to a hip hop show today and not see a projector now. It's right, like yeah. nobody was doing that before, like right. at all. And I know it's like simple stuff, but incorporating this artistic aspect into music in terms of hip hop here locally was not a thing that people were doing. It was very much you, a microphone, a DJ, a laptop or whatever it is, a live band or, yeah. you know, it was very bare, you know, it was you in the venue. And I hated the venues. I'm not gonna lie, like I hated the venues here. And so there was like this extra incentive to transform spaces into something that I felt comfortable being in, something that I could control. And it also was like a partial control free thing too. Like if I came to a space and I couldn't control the sound or couldn't control the lights or something like that, I wouldn't do it. And so for me, that was like a, always a thing of me being able to control my environment. Cause I used to have horrible, horrible performance anxiety. And so I needed the space to feel like my world. And so it all kind of worked together. The visual art stuff, my anxiety, um, the music, like all of my stresses, all of my fears about performing, because I used to be, ugh, used to be terrible. I used to oh, go, wow. cry and shit. Uh, have not done that in such a long time. If I cry before a show, it's a happy cry. Like it's good. like, good. That's good. To hear. But before, that's better. That's a better cry right there. It was like, <clears throat> yeah, it's a way better cry. But well, the thing is why that happened. Yeah. yeah, the thing that's pretty interesting to me about that is that it is, I mean, I think Eric and I have talked about this before, like that, you know, the thing that brought got me into music in the first place was the show. Mm -hmm. It's always been the show. It's always been standing in this small place and having this feeling and interacting with people that are right across from me and this thing that is really close. It's never been in a big place. It's never been in a... Uh, you know, a parking lot show or a big field someplace is not where I want to go and see music. I like this this interaction and this community kind of thing. And it's always been a show that then turns me on to more stuff. But that show has always been super important. And to me, that's the way that 
I mean, there is something really interesting about your show and the way that you present that has always been, uh, I don't know, it's like, you just sort of explained it probably better than I, I could have, like I, I could have put words to it before, but, but it was, it's like, a, that is a big show. That is something to go and see. And it, you know, it surprises your audience. The idea of surprising your audience is also completely punk rock. Like, the, you know, the idea that you're going to go in and present something that may be different than what people are expecting or uh, surprises. I mean, to me, that is what I love about going and seeing a show. You never know what is going to happen. Yeah. And if you can change people's expectations or keep people on their toes, you're already a step ahead than from, from everything else, right? Yeah. And I always knew I was making some weird shit anyway. Like, I, I knew I was making some weird shit. I knew I was making some untraditional shit. And so I needed to present it in a context where it made sense. And I think, like, me on a blank stage with a microphone with whatever venue name behind me wasn't the proper context. Yeah, right. And uh, I needed people to be able to take it in and actually judge it properly within its context instead of me. Like, I hate doing, like, not like I hate doing group shows because like I always get put in these weird spaces where it's like super super conscious hip hop dude. Then they throw me. Then they throw a trap artist, and I'm just like that is not what I want to do. And so like I, I rarely rarely do group shows like unless like favors and like just things unless like the, the thing is like aesthetically everything that I feel like it's gonna be and it's okay and I can show up and it's like. 30 minute slot or 15 minute slot or 20 minute slot. And it just, I fit, I like rarely do one. Cause it's just, I, I just don't feel, I feel out of context. Like right. way out of context. Right. It sounds like you, you want to, you want to define the the space and, and if you're just one of five, then yeah, yeah what's, what's so special about that? Yeah. Well, setting up a show is always like that too. You know, you are, whoever you're playing after and whoever's playing after you, there is a massive, Thing that is going to come off of whatever happened right before mm -hmm. you before mm -hmm. you go on and that could be a feeling it could be an emotion it could be a good show a bad show it, like it's but it's it's important and it sets up like whatever you're going to do so yeah if you could take that element out and just let it live on its own it mm -hmm. feels like it's a more true way to do it sure. yeah so um getting getting onto the hub uh the movie that you just uh, put out on Vimeo, so available to watch um, for everybody. Um, what what started you thinking about? Uh, I mean, maybe maybe talk about what the film's about and uh, what started you thinking about um, making that and and why that was important uh, for people to to find out about um, that part of Memphis. So for me, so like I, I made this film, The Other Side of Broad, before that I consider film a practice where I can kind of like explore things. Like I, I don't really write narrative films that often. Like I write kind of documentary things, like things I want to explore and learn about. And so coming off of that, um, there was a, a issue, a thing that I, I felt very passionate about since I was like in high school, actually, like as a young black dude in Memphis, like, I remember growing up and, and people being like, well, you're going to go to college, you're going to go to the military, or you're going to work at FedEx. And that was kind of the thing. And so I remember when I wanted to get a job at 16, everybody was like, oh, you should get a job at FedEx. They pay so good. They pay this, that, and the other. And I didn't do that. I ended up working at Target and a few other retail spaces or whatever. Um, but a lot of my homies growing up went to work at FedEx. And so... I kind of was aware of the, the effects and the things that that had on people like working in factories. And like when we would hang out, they would describe what they were doing all day, throwing boxes and what the conditions were. And in the summer, the air would go out and all these other things or whatever. And then you translate that to Nike, you translate that to Amazon now, which is like the big one. And then you hear these stories about people dying. You hear these stories about people being depressed. Like I have a lot of family members, like a lot of my, cousins like essentially all of my cousins my brother works at amazon my cousin works at nike uh, my other cousin works at amazon my play cousin works at amazon um uh, so i was always kind of aware of how shitty these places were and the conditions that people worked in and then i had my own personal experiences working just jobs and dealing with what what having a job is like with management and all these 
the things you hate, right? And so spending time with them, being an artist, like I don't work, like I was full-time an artist. I quit my job in 2013 uh, and have been just grinding ever since. And so there was this contrast of what they were experiencing versus what I was experiencing and the type of struggle I was having versus theirs, which even though being an artist, being a musician in Memphis is very difficult, what I saw them going through was like some mentally crippling, dream, soul-sucking type of shit. And so for me, I always wanted to do something that kind of honored what they were experiencing or what they were going through. And then also highlight all of the issues within Memphis's hub system or our transportation stuff, which I've spoken on before. Um, but, you know, if you have certain types of past, if you have uh, lack of transportation, if you have lack of this or that, being within these jobs is like a jail, is like a plantation. Like, that's what we joke when we call them. We call them plantation. You go on a plantation today? Da-da-da-da. Because that's what it is to us. It's like, it's billed as you're getting paid $11, $12 an hour, but that's not a livable wage. And I know they just recently, like the other day, raised they said they're going to raise it to 15 and It's like, you could be paying all of these people $20 an hour, $25 an hour easily. Like, Jeff Bezos could do that easily, but they're choosing not to. And so what does that say about where they want to keep the people that work at those places at? You know what I'm saying? And then so when you have a city like Memphis, where like a ton of the black people or black and brown people, really black people who work here, work in those factories, right? And then a certain percentage of the population in Memphis is what, like 60, 70, damn near percent black folks are all, like majority of them are working in some form or fashion connected to FedEx. And so when you look at the poverty within the city and you look at like where they're working, what they're getting paid and all this stuff, it all connects. When you think about like the anxieties, the mental anguish and all the different things that folk are dealing with within their communities because of poverty, because somebody won't pay them $25 an hour, $30 an hour, $20 an hour, a shift, like small shifts within that system could change things within the city if that is what we're going to be. If we're going to be a place where people are having to work in factories like Detroit once was and all these other things, if you pay the people, it could be a living thing. It could be something people are prideful about that they work with this entity or whatever. But it's not that. It's a job where if you can't go to college or whatever, you don't want to go to the military, you end up going to work here and you get enough money to get comfortable. So then you get bills and all these other things, but you can never escape it. And like I know people, I have family members who like, have never been able to escape working at these places because it takes almost no skill to be there, right? So you're not developing any skill there anyway. You're probably diminishing skills, right? So you're just throwing a box every day, throwing something on a truck, lifting something here. And I think over time, it just kind of breaks you down in a type of way. And so what I wanted to explore was a person who had been working at a job like that, got fired from that job, and then had to take what lack of skills or lack of social whatever, whatever, and arrogance and all these other things into other types of places. Because that was me. Coming up, I was very arrogant about where I would not work, like I, I what I wouldn't do and what I would do, but I was desperate. But I still had this like attitude about it, and so like I inserted some of that stuff into the character because uh, it's a narrative and it's a documentary. So right, only three fourths of it is documentary, and then one fourth is a narrative following right. a character that is a composite of probably me, my little brother who plays the character, uh, our friend John Carlos my friend Ladarius or my cousin Ladarius. Um, and it's just like a mash of all of us and our, our personalities and our attitudes and our stories. And this person living in South Memphis, having to navigate, not being able to have a job, but having responsibilities because you built them up while you were working at this place that is barely giving you enough. And so, yeah, it was just a, a way for me to point out all the little weird things that exists within these systems of factory jobs or warehouse jobs. And we're super known for it in Memphis. Uh, and I say all the time, if FedEx, Amazon, Medtronic, or any of these places decide to leave the city, it's going to crumble. Like Memphis is going to crumble. If FedEx ever leaves here, it'll be Detroit. Like I say that all the time. Right. Uh, and, yeah. It's, uh, yeah. It, it's, it's, uh, 
it's there. You can't say it, it's an opportunity to, to, to work, but like yeah. you said, it's not an opportunity to grow or to, mm -hmm. you know, with, uh, in Detroit, when they were doing, uh, in the seventies, auto workers unions, mm -hmm. that was your life. You knew you were going to be in the factory the whole time, but you knew at 55 or whatever, you yep. get a pension and you live for the rest of your life off of what you've built. There's a, there's a sense of building a life there here yeah. now. Um, Amazon and FedEx, everything is about the bottom line. So if they can pay and it, it you see how the money ends up at the top mm -hmm. and how they won't give a 15%, a 15 cent raise to somebody at the mm -hmm. bottom where when you're down it, any, any level underneath, $200,000, you get $1,000, you're going, woo, you know, yep. just a, a, a small amount of money to, to people making money makes such a big difference mm -hmm. to people, you and know, I, literally you get behind $1,000 in your bills and you're never getting out of there. Yeah. Right. You know, there's and no way to catch back up. I thought the film did a great job of talking about that, you know, like the, um, but when you put it that way, I think it's right. Cause part of the deal that is different between Detroit and working for uh, the auto industry in the seventies and eighties and working now for FedEx is that lack of self-respect. I mean, mm -hmm. you know what? I, I don't think there's pride in working in those places. Right. And, and to push that, we've pushed this narrative that FedEx is this great place, but I thought what that story, what the film did was just put an interesting kind of slant on the characters that we don't talk about. And, mm. uh, um, and how, yeah, if we, you know, we're supposed to be this town of, um, what, you know, commerce or kind of stuff. What it's what they, you know, well, it's yeah, a distribution like, hub, yeah, right? Dist the distribution, yeah, distribution hub, the city of distribution. But you know, if if you're uh, if you're shitting on the people that make it that, then you know, what are you going to wind up with? Plus, mm -hmm. um, I, I, you know, you, I think you did a great job of, uh, you know, or your the the documentary side really did speak to depression as a, as a real thing in a way that I think maybe would have been difficult if you were doing it in a narrative way or yeah. trying to deal with the characters. Like I felt like the real, the realism there really helped you understand who those people were and mm. feel like you were taught you, you were hearing from real people with a real story that doesn't really get talked about. Mm. Um, yeah. Plus I think, you know, so maybe you can talk a little bit about just, that juxtaposition of narrative and documentary, because uh, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, to me, it sort of gave space to everything. You know, there was so little speaking in your, in the narrative portion, right? And it really sort of seemed to, um, you know, you sort of saw the the photography and the the cinematography there. It was like this sort of sparse. Eggleston-y kind of looking um, thing that I sort of see in some of your photography too. And then, so it almost then felt like when those, you were hearing these guys talk in the documentary kind of thing, all of a sudden those words meant so much more. And mm -hmm. the interactions when they do happen, the narrative seemed like these big things, like him and, and his buddy in the car is mm -hmm. sort of like the bit, it feels like the big thing that is around the entire, the whole story almost seems to kind of pivot on that. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know, maybe, maybe you can just sort of, I just, I also don't, can't think of a film that, that did those two in that way. So maybe talk a little bit about how you came up with that idea. And if there were some, um, some things that you were kind of working off of or in, influences on that. Yeah, I think for me, so the bouncing back and forth. Um, so I think when I started writing it, it was initially a narrative and we had a lot of trouble figuring out where we wanted it to go. And so a lot of that film ended up being kind of not freestyle, but like we were adjusting as we were going. So we started, you know, shooting all of the narrative stuff. Um, and then we had to stop because it got cold. So like we, I think we started filming in like August and October or something like that. And then it got cold and the blue of the sky went away. Yeah. And I, was like, I needed to, I need right. Yeah. It needed to be summer. And so we waited. And so in that period of time, I spent the, basically the rest of the time trying to like write the rest of the script. So I, I like started filming it and finished writing it. And um, it ended up, we, we were trying to figure out all these different, I guess, like points of conflict uh, and just never settled on anything. Um, 
And I kind of came to the point, I was like, it doesn't have to be like a movie movie. It could just be what real life is like. It's like you're out of a job for a month in the summer or two months in the summer. What does that look like? And it kind of looks like nothing. It kind of looks boring. It kind of looks like you fiddling with a bunch of different things, getting cussed out by your friends for not doing a thing or not being attentive enough. It looks like you trying to go to church when that's not really what you want to do, but you're in there because you think something will come from it. Uh, and you're, you're, yeah, it, it feels like that. And so in the midst of that, I'd always planned to do like small interview vignettes, but they ended up being so potent that I like kind of flipped the way that I was laying it out. Cause I was always <laughs> playing with like the idea of it being a narrative doc. Um, I'm familiar with documentaries, not so familiar with writing a narrative. And I wanted to kind of get my feet wet, uh, to write a narrative because the next project I want to write is a full narrative no documentary aspects but i don't know if i'll do that now i really enjoy making documentaries i think the passion i feel about it and exploring a topic and exposing a thing uh overrides my desire to be a good narrative filmmaker writer uh i think that's kind of where i show up in terms of film now like i'm that may change six months from now but that's how i feel right now but with that um I ended up kind of basing the rest of the story. So we did the we could do we did the interviews and then finish the second half of the narrative. So after I did all the interviews, I was like, "What's the conclusion to this? Like, what does he do? What we don't know." And so I think in the film, I kind of left it open ended. Right. Like you think that you, you could think you got the job. Yeah, yeah. But I know personally, I got called back a lot of times and went to an interview and then didn't get the job went to a second interview, didn't get the job. So I kind of left it open-ended, but just to show that it takes all of that to maybe just get a call. I, I love that. I thought, I, and I totally got that. Like the whole idea that, uh, but yeah, it's like that com- the conversation sort of, he's like, his buddy's telling him, man, you gotta put a, you gotta put a shirt on. You gotta go, you know, you can't be wandering around like this. You go get your hair cut and stuff. And then he sort of, it's like, He's wandering around doing nothing. And then he sort of is like, oh, maybe I need to pull this stuff together. And he goes and, you know, sees his kid and gets yelled at. And then he sort of is like, get, you know, but he ultimately winds up getting his head. It's like, okay, now I'm making these baby steps back up. I'm kind of getting, trying to get back into life. But it doesn't sell out. It doesn't, he's not there. Like life hasn't changed because you've gotten this narrative of all the other guys that have just so, sort of told what they're, you already know what the truth where this thing is going, right? You like got a job. It's not gonna, you know, this is what you're looking for. Right. Yeah. I thought, I thought that was really powerful. I mean, so. what I, what I really enjoyed about it, um, what the thing I got out of the movie the most, I think was just your, and this is, is kind of paradox because it's the sense of time and just that nothing is happening. You know, you get these great shots of just kind of wandering around, looking at stuff. And at the same time that the, the talking about working in a factory is you have no time you just work mm-hmm. the same thing for 12 hours a day but that's not in the movie that mm-hmm. is you know that that is just like this thing that just destroys your soul and everything and the rest of it is kind of like what am i doing you know what am i going to do now how can i get through this thing and it was real powerful it's really the the pacing and everything really cool um and i think I mean, it to me, it goes back to a lot of what you're saying. You have just a, a lot of patience and uh, <laughs> uh, structure, you know. Where you know, I like if, that if it, laugh. That might have just spoken uh, to something. A lot of a lot of people will cut things, thinking, "Okay, nothing's happening here. We got to get to the action," and that's understandable. But that's you lose, you know. You really and and it sets the scene. You're controlling the pace of the movie. You're controlling, you know. People want it to cut, and it doesn't cut. you know that's your movie and that's that's your pace and it was very very strong to me i appreciate it i think that's like uh yeah like i remember editing it and being like yeah people are gonna think this is boring i was like because i remember like i think that the first three minutes of the movie is just him walking Uh, yeah yeah totally music so the original version that had music and stuff i took all the music out all the the things to kind of keep you going i was just like no He's just gonna walk to the bus stop for yeah. three minutes. Yeah. 
in reality, it would be 30 minutes. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, you want to make it real. <laughs> yeah. And you get that. Like, that came across. Three yeah. minutes in a movie was 30, 40 minutes easy. You know, like, it's, it. Uh, yeah, I, I know. I, I'm with you. And it, even so, like, even after the haircut, like, after the haircut, when you see him pursue a job again, he has hair again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he does. Totally does, yeah. The fact of this is how long it takes. Like, I remember, right. so I remember, so I quit my job uh, 2013, like January, February 2013. I was like, I'm going to pursue music. I was broke by the summer. And, like, my mom was like, you got to figure something out. And I was like, all right, I'm going to drive around and just apply everywhere. And if I get a job, I'll work. If I don't get a job, I'm pursuing art and I'm never going back or whatever. That was, like, my thing. And uh, I remember how many, like, I would go to every single, like, I, I would go to the mall and go store, 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 all around the mall. Like, even when I worked, so I lived in Maryland for a little bit. I worked at a Rundle Mills Mall. Rundle Mills Mall is the second biggest mall in Maryland or something like that, and, like, fourth in America, some nuts. It's just a giant, giant, giant mall. It has a bunch of stores in it, and it's in a loop. It probably has 200 stores in there. I went and applied to every single store that I looked like I could maybe work at. And I got two callbacks, wow. one interview, and I ended up getting that job. But like, wow. as a black dude back then, like I don't know I don't know how it is now to apply for a job. I can't even speak to it. I've not tried right. way beyond that. Like I cannot, so I have no idea. But getting a job as like a young black dude was the hardest shit in the world. Like it was just difficult. And you would have to do all of the things that the character did in the movie. You have to like put the bullshit ass outfit on with like the, the collar shirt and like all this stuff and wear your wallabies and, you know, make sure your hair is cut or you don't have hair. Like that was a whole thing, like not having hair at all, uh, not having facial hair. You're just doing all of these things to present yourself in like the most sanitized mm -hmm. black version of yourself. Like you almost had to go as Carlton from, you know what I'm saying, Prince, and put on so much air just to get somebody to even listen to you, you know, at least when I was, like, doing the things. Um, and I remember when, like, jobs started doing online applications, and I was like, oh, I'm never getting a job again because I can't go in there and fake. I was like, I needed to be able to walk up to the manager and pretend that I was somebody else for them to believe me, and then for me to be able to get a job or an interview. And then when I got on the job, I would just go back to who I am eventually like they would hate me or whatever. But uh, that process, like seeing the haircut happen, come back, he has hair. So this is how long it has taken for him to, and I'm just showing you a day of him going to a few places. He's been doing this for a month. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, and so yeah, the Jason thing, I appreciate like y'all peeping that, that dragging out of the thing. Because uh, it was 50 some minutes at first, and we cut it down to like 45. So, yeah. Yeah, man, I thought it was, I thought it was, uh, that was great. It was, uh, it was very, uh, very interesting. And I thought it was a, a you know, great portrait on uh, uh, characters that don't, that you don't see, that we don't talk about as much. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, so is, Maybe to get a little bit more general, I mean, you've so you've you you grew up in Memphis, but then spent some time in Maryland as mm. well. Is that right? So, mm. what was that like for you? What how what is your relationship to Memphis now? <laughs> uh, Maryland was great and like the worst of the worst because yeah. uh, of where I was at the time, like mentally, emotionally, relationship wise, at school, I was flunking out, I was on drugs doing all the things uh, and really depressed. And so when I came back to Memphis, uh, I don't know, I don't, Memphis was weird when I came back. Uh, I So I grew up outside of the city limits. I like am more closer to, I'm kind of like in this weird in-between place, like I'm in between Hickory Hill, Carrieville and Germantown. So I'm in this like blank spot or whatever. And so growing up out here, yeah, I'm from Memphis, but like a lot of Memphis culture kind of just washed over me or passed me in different ways. Um, and so I did not start to really, really take in Memphis in terms of its history, its culture, and all of this environmental stuff that comes from being from Memphis until 
my mid-20s, once I got involved with the collective, because we were just in neighborhoods doing this work. And so I started to get familiar with the history and things, but Memphis has always been very interesting. I thought, like, it's, it's funny, because when I was younger in high school, early in college, I thought I had to leave. I had to get the hell out. Like, I, was, I had to leave. I'll never do nothing here or whatever. And I left, and I got my ass kicked or whatever, and then I came back. And then I was able to actually like build a fan base and a career here, which I never thought I would be able to do. And so then that was like very, very humbling or just like very special to feel. And so like it rooted me in a different way to Memphis that I hadn't been rooted in before. Like no matter what happens, I'm probably always gonna live in Memphis because it informs my work. Like it informs what I do in, in terms of the visual art, in terms of the filmmaking, like the stories I tell are Memphian stories of people from here. Um, and then the music that I make, I don't think I make the music that I make if I wasn't a kid from Memphis or Memphis adjacent to a certain extent. Like you don't get a Laro if you don't take a kind of naive wanderlust type of kid or something and throw him in a city in like, cause I was in DC or whatever you throw him in DC and from Memphis, like from the outskirts of Memphis too, because I didn't even start to go into Midtown and downtown until I had an art career. Like I never went down there at all. Memphis was Hacks Cross and Winchester and right. you know, Forest Hill Irene and all that. Like that was Memphis to me for the, for the longest. And then Whitehaven. And so you take that kid, put him in Maryland, put him in DC by himself, by himself. Uh, and he gets his ass kicked by the world. And then you send him back and then he writes an album about that. And like, you don't get that story without my naivete. You don't get that story without me being completely unaware of what the world had in store for you. Uh, and so that coupled with everything else that I've experienced here, I think it like has rooted me in a way where the work and the environment and the stories here and the people here, um, though frustrating at times, though very frustrating at times, uh, is something that is a part of my process and what I do now. I don't want to like, I thought about it like the other day, I was like, what would an album in LA sound like? That Like, I don't, I'm cool. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I think the slowness of my music, I think the pace of my music, the heaviness of my music, I don't think you, you don't get that unless you're where I live. You don't get that, this kind of weird, seedy, suburban style. Like, I don't know, like this kind of heavy, feeling or whatever you don't get that if you don't live the life that i lived here right um and so i think for that reason you know i'm i'm very much planted uh, and in terms of like people supporting me here like i never thought like never ever 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 thought if you would have like found me at 17 and been like memphis is going to do this for you and that for you and you're going to release albums here you're going to do shows here and people are going to show up and support you i'd be like fuck out my face i'm going to la um and so now to have that but then now i'm in this weird place where i have maybe succeeded among the memphis-based like people who are actually here and living here uh i've succeeded in a certain type of way where i i feel by myself again like i feel um very separate from everybody like i'm with y'all i do like there's certain infrastructural things and certain cool folks they fuck with me. Like, y'all fuck with me. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but there's some of the other entities and things that do not fuck with me. And so I'm back in this weird place of where I've accomplished enough to where I am not no longer maybe, like, cool or, like, I, or underground. Like, because I think there's, like, an emphasis on, like, like, we rock with very, very sanitized things. Or underground thing. <laughs> right, right, yeah. Right, right, right. I am neither one right now. Uh because like I mean I do cool stuff. Like I, I got murals. I I get all kind of random shit or whatever. People call me for opportunities that other people don't get all the time. And so there is like this weird little survivor's guilt thing among like young artists, dudes who are trying to like do some things. Like whether it's the artistic front uh or the musical front. Like most of the people who are like doing the things that we look at and like put on a pedestal are like have moved. They're all in LA, they're all in New York. Uh, and they may visit, for the most part, they're somewhere else. Like all the guys who are, you know, 
at least that I know who are doing certain things, at least black, black hip hop adjacent folks, they're somewhere else. If you're still here and you're not making street music, because even the guys who make street music are in Atlanta. Right. And yeah. so the people here, you know, you have me, you have unapologetic, right. and you have like a bunch of up and coming, I've been making music for a year, two years, three years, guys, right? I am no longer the guy to them or whatever. Like I am, I am something else now. And so I'm in this weird transitionary period um, where I feel weird. Like I just feel weird being here, but I don't want to leave. I just feel weird. Like, I, I don't know, like it's, I'm out and like people recognize me and treat me a certain type of way, but then I go in other places and it's like, hmm. Cause like, <laughs> There's this thing of like when you're up and coming, like because I did it. I did it when I was up and coming. My first few years doing music, I looked at the guys who were where I am now and were like, fuck you. What did you do to do the thing? Right. You're probably kissing somebody's ass. You're probably acting like this or acting like that. You're making weak shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. yeah. whatever. Because I could easily see somebody listening to Murfield and being like, oh, that's some weak shit. If you're a young, <laughs> well, you gotta be. You, when you're coming up. You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta push yourself. You know. Yeah. So it's like fuck that guy, and I happen to be that guy now. Nah, yeah, right. It's a weird place to try and sort of grow up in this this sort of thing. And I think, I mean, I think we feel it too. It's sort of like now you're the old man on the block. Like I remember being a kid and being like, why is that old man at the show? Like, what, what's up? What's up with that dude? You know. And then and now I'm that guy. I'm like, you know. Put it together. Yeah, Lauren, right, right, right. Lauren, you're, you're too young to be that guy. Yeah, I think thing, you're too you know? young to be that guy. So you didn't have any time to be just in between. Yeah, I'm in between. I'm, I'm in between. I think with hip hop, like I'm 28, right? And that's that's young for life for hip hop. <laughs> right, right, right. Drake is 33, yeah. <laughs> and he's like now, like we're like. Kid Cudi, like all of the guys that I came up like listening to and influenced by, they're in their mid thirties now, like early to mid thirties, and I'm right under thirty. And so, but all of the dudes who are coming up, they're twenty, twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, and I'm in a different place or whatever. And I, I, of course, I think if I would have moved or something like that, it would have accelerated things a little differently. But I wanted to stay in Memphis. Uh, because I felt like if I was able to do a thing here, that would open the door for all of those dudes or whatever. Because like we get a certain level of media attention, but not much. We don't have any hip hop PR here. We don't have any pop PR. We don't have any of these like infrastructural things. I think people from the outside are like aware of what Memphis um, adds to the canon, but they only recognize it when it's in LA or New York or somewhere else. And so I remember going out to L.A. Uh, and so my master engineer, Mike Bozzi, did like all these cool, amazing records. He did Childish Gambino's like uh, records. He did TDE's records, Kendrick Lamar stuff, uh, Snow Allegra stuff. He's done so many people's stuff that's like amazing. But we had a conversation uh, in 2016 about me moving to L.A. because I was kind of giving up uh, on Memphis at the time. And I was like, I think I'm going to move to L.A. And I had a conversation with him. And he was like asking me about Memphis and he was like, you know, who is the guy there? Like, he's like, who is there? Who's there doing the things on a nationwide scale? And I couldn't really think of nobody because everybody left. Everybody who's doing the national has left. And so when you look at other cities, you look at LA, they have Kendrick Lamar and YG. And you look at Chicago and they got Kanye and Chance the Rapper and Lupe Fiasco and Common and all these places. Look at New York. They have like, you can name 10 MPs, 10 artists from every major city that are doing stuff nationally. If you name Memphis, you cannot not name Street Rapper. It's, it's, it's Yo Gotti, Atlanta Steel, uh, Young Dog, Black Youngster, NLE Chopper, uh, I guess is how you say his name, I can't remember, I only still. But like, like it's all street guys. There's nobody really else besides Healy uh, and it may be John Waltz, but primarily Healy. Um, and Healy's not here right now. You know what I'm saying? He, he's, he's out West. And so when I think about all of those people, none of them are actively here. And we had a conversation about 
if I was able to be the guy that was actually here, making the type of music that I'm making, what would that then do um, media-wise, economically, and all this stuff, if I became everything that I or people believe I can be, right? Because at this point, it's, it's, it's more about, you know, people see a thing, they invest in a thing, they believe in a thing, almost more, more so than you believe in yourself at times. Because, like, y'all have an experience at the shows, y'all watch the film, y'all have an experience that I don't have, right? And so you see more for what it could be. Whereas your hopes and dreams or uh, aspirations or visions for what it could be fuel me to continue to go because I could be very content. Like as an artist, you're in your art, you're just wrapped around it all the time. And so you'd be like, oh, I could do this, eh, but I'm da 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 da. Like, like the, the, the motivation to continue to push yourself if you've already, because for me, like, and this might be too much or whatever, but for me, I was, not thinking I would be doing any of this shit. Like coming out of high school, I, I wanted to do a whole lot. Did not really believe I could do a whole lot. And so, cause nobody around me did anything. And so I'm creeping up on 21. I'm like, I'll probably be dead by 21 because I'm depressed. I got all these other problems and stuff. And I was just like, ah, eh, the likelihood of me doing these things, I'm probably gonna just be some weird dude who made music who was like really, artistically aloof or whatever and then died in some unfortunate way because I was depressed I was fucking around with stupid shit at the time and so for me I didn't really see the things like I hoped for them but I didn't see them and then once I made it past a certain age and things started to open up for me because I had no fan like no fans until 2014 like I had four or five people around me who were like you could probably do this you could probably do this. And then everybody else would know. So for me, once I started to get fans, it became more about the, their belief in what I could do than maybe even my own self because I had sold myself so short coming out of high school because I just didn't see it. I didn't see it. I knew everybody who had succeeded before me here did something completely different. And so... I always thought I had to move and I, I knew that if I did not move, that it might not work, but I was wrong. And so as I continue to keep being wrong, my young self continues to keep being wrong. I think that the people that fuel me to continue to move forward are people like y'all, people like my manager, uh, the other folks around me who have invested in, supported and believed in the stuff that I got going on. And so that keeps me going forward to where I do feel like there's unlimited possibility, regardless of my age, regardless of my, you know, genre of music or whatever the hell that is, my skin, any of this stuff. I feel like I can kind of do anything if the right people are believing in what I'm doing or whatever. And that's kind of where I'm at now. And so for that reason, like geography, it's it's just it's a flavor. It's just like a flavor to what I got going on versus yeah. a end all be all. Like I see people online, like younger dudes online, they're like, you know, I gotta leave Memphis. I gotta, I'm not gonna do this. And I see people encouraging them to do so. And if that's what you need to do, uh, but if you ain't got the chops here, you might not have the chops in New York. That's that's what I always say. You know, if you can make it in Memphis, you can make it anywhere. Mm -hmm. If you go to New York, you're one of a million. You know, and and people make it. But uh, the the lack of infrastructure here is also opportunity because mm -hmm. there's just less people here and there's space for you to do your thing. No mm -hmm. one might care, you know, yeah. but, um, I think, uh, that's, that's sort of been my thing. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's great. There's people in LA, New York doing their thing, but, um, you know, it, if, if you can be in the middle of nowhere doing your thing, then, then go for it, especially yeah. cause you're more important to that scene. You know, yeah. you're out there doing murals and being part in the community, doing all kinds of stuff. Um, if I'm not mistaken, you were curating the Grizzlies locker room, you know, that's, that's like where you take your art, it's going from high to low, you know, you're doing, it's incredible. You know, I don't think you get that opportunity if you're not in kind of a, a, a small pond, you know. Yeah. Well, plus, doing work in the in with complex and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's like from it's street up, you know. And I think, I think the narrative has always been you got to get out of Memphis to go and do something. And I think, you know, 
Eric and I looked at that, always looked at it as an opportunity. I mean, I didn't ever see doing this thing anywhere else. To me, that was like, this is the place that, I mean, I, I, I loved all of these things that had sort of come out of this place and it just felt like the right place to be able to do this stuff. It was cheap. There were, it, it was a really positive artist group in Midtown that of people that wanted to get together and play and they didn't necessarily have to they could go out on tour because it was cheap enough to be able to hold on to your job or your rent and mm -hmm. um you know you didn't have to ha have a lot of money and uh, so there were opportunities if you looked for them and you were just willing to go ahead and do something <laughs> yeah. a lot of times it was just people that weren't willing to go and do something um and so i think yeah i think that that's part of what's been great about seeing you come up in this and and sort of being you know a little bit of the of an outsider on it but like it's it's great because I do think it's something that people can look at, and while they may be talking talking uh, bad about it, <laughs> they're also they're also being like, man, I wish I could be like that guy. I mean, right. you know, and, I mean, and you're trying to you know with the collective and and doing other things, just you know, being an example and giving other people opportunities, so you don't think there's nothing here for me, you know. Yeah. Um, you know. And seeing somebody succeed, you know, I mean, it, I think it. I think it gets back to what is success, right? Like, I mean, Eric and I talk about that a bunch. That we always kind of have to remind ourselves. It is like, you you know, you it's never been about, yeah, we are in a retail business. So you get into a conversation with somebody outside of our thing and you're constantly in this thing of like, well, who do you put out that we know? And do you, is there anything I would hear on the radio? And, uh, right. you know, it's like, no, our thing has never been that. Our thing has never been that, and it's and there's no way, any way that I can probably tell you that. But like, our thing was always that we wanted to put music out that we thought people needed to hear, and mm -hmm. we wanted to stock the shop full of things. Not that we necessarily thought that we could sell, but it was stuff that we thought people needed to hear. And yeah. if you could always turn somebody on, if they could come in and say, "I like this thing," we can turn you on with this. Like that was success, and it was individual mm -hmm. and. It felt like you could sort of build something that way by um, by slowly, if there was enough people that were listening to the things that you thought were interesting and you realized there's some other people out there that also want to you know, hear that stuff, that you could you could sort of do this in a slow roll. And mm -hmm. each year that you were able to continue to do it, each project that you were able to do was a success in itself. And it wasn't ever anything larger than that. It couldn't be, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think it goes back to that. That, that becomes part of it. It's like, what is what is success and um, just being able to continue to do something, especially in arts or in music um, and do it the way that you have respect for the way that, you know, you're able to do it in a way that you want to do it and you're not doing it any other way. Now, yeah. you know, I think that that was always something that felt like you were going to have to do, you know, while there were negatives about having a label and doing something in Memphis um, of, you know, not, running not being able to put on a show and have somebody that might pull a license or a sink or something like that yeah. you you know you're not not working within these networks but um but you could have like seven or eight people there that would then go and tell everybody else about that show or something sometimes a show would start and then it would be triple the people that were in just because something crazy happened and then there's these legendary st stories of, of those shows and um th some of those things can only happen in Memphis, yeah. they can't happen if you're trying to do this thing in New York and you're in the middle of the grind and all you're thinking about is this industry stuff and you got people constantly talking about how all of this stuff, what is cool and what you're supposed to do. Yeah. It's too easy to get swept up in that. If, you know, yeah. the good thing about Memphis for us has been we've been, always been able to do it the way we wanted to do it and stay true to that. And, um, you know, and that's it's great to see other. I feel like that's what you've been able to do, too, even in more areas. Right. Like, you know. Everything that you've thrown out uh, sticks and has its own look and feel, and uh, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's really impressive and cool. Thank you, man. It's the creativity of like I think that's the thing too, like learning to be here. It's like you're doing what you can with a little, like you're doing the most with a little. And so you know, I think for me or whatever, with like so like last year, I like went on like did the tour, like did the mini tour, and like I did that because I felt like. Again, there is a ceiling. I do feel there is a ceiling for this stuff here if you're basing it off the infrastructure that is here, at least right. for the genre of music that people, you know, put me in or whatever. There is a ceiling. Like, you can do this. You can do it comfortably. You can, you know, 
make a decent amount of money off of it or whatever. Uh, but because my market is hella niche, and when I started thinking about stuff like that, then I was like, all right, you know, I do need to break outside of. I don't necessarily need to live outside of, but I can break outside of. And so that's why I put together the tour because, you know, when I started making Alero, everybody was still on, you know, iTunes. Everybody was still buying $9.99, you know, going to record stores, going to all of, all of these things. And then they devalued, they took the value out of the music. They did the streaming stuff, which is has its benefits and it's, it's you know, issues, right? Um, and so for me, what that allowed was for me to get quicker reach to national platforms than I ever had before because they weren't incentivizing you to put music on these platforms at first, you know, but with Spotify and playlisting and Apple Music and specifically Spotify, uh, with what they have going on and their user-friendly kind of way of navigating stuff, even though they have some foul stuff going on too, it allowed me to reach people across the world without ever having to leave. And so when I did the tour, the tour was me connecting with those people, trying to connect with those people who had maybe been listening to Contour for a year and thought that I was a brand new artist or whatever it is. And so it allowed me to get my face in front of those people. Um, and so for me, you know, and there's some things that have happened that I can't speak on yet. I will speak on them when it is time to speak on them. But, <laughs> but I love when those things happen. I'm glad to hear something's coming. Yeah, and so for that reason, like that that allowed those things to happen. And so now it feels like the beginning all over to me. Like it was 10 years since high school to get to this point, you know, started really making music seriously in year 2010, 9, 10 or whatever. Um, and it, it took 10 years to get to this space. And like, it feels like I've started over in terms of what I have coming and all the plans that we have coming. Um, and so for me, now people are going to be able to see the other half of what that looks like when somebody who is here, whose work is informed by here, who stays here, but maybe has support elsewhere, nationally, um, what can one do here with that? Because everybody else left and got their support in LA, got their support in New York. Um, and maybe I do have support in New York and LA and other places, but I'm still here. What does that look like? What can you do with that? And I, you know, I used to get jaded. Again, when I was younger, I would be jaded as shit. But when you watch enough documentaries, and I love history, love music history, love like cultural history. Like I love watching documentaries about like um, these cultural renaissances that happen in different cities, whether it be Detroit or New York or Brooklyn or uh, like Los Angeles in certain eras, like 60s to 80s and all this stuff. Right. That's what's happening right now. If you watch enough of those, that is what's happening in Memphis right now. We're like in the midst of like a, a weird time, obviously politically and socially and shit. Uh, but people are making really, really interesting art that they probably would not be making if everything was okay. They're making it in a place where there's a lack of resources. So that means people are really having to be creative and do some really special shit. And so, and then you have a bunch of people who are creating their own way. And so if you look back through music history, whether it be Memphis itself and Stacks and everything else, or you look at what NWA did, or you look at, you know, some of the stuff that was like Studio 54 adjacent in New York and like that cultural movement and disco right. and like all that stuff, you just start looking at that and how that happens and how that goes up. We're in the middle of that. And there's players and people within that which in the next 10 years, Memphis will look completely different, good and bad, right? right. But so culturally, will look completely different. the eyes on Memphis will be completely different, whether it be, you know, these shows that are being shot with folks from Memphis in them, whether they be other places or not. That, that's the stepping stone. It's like you, you do this thing, this other place, but you stay committed to here. That stuff is going to put eyes on this place, bring other people to this place. And then those opportunities will start to happen here. You know what I'm saying? And so that's kind of how I'm looking at it. Like, I know I now have a vision for what my future can be doing this stuff, whereas I didn't always have that. But I now have it because I know certain stuff is possible. Um, and for that reason, like, I'm super excited to see what the next 10 years, like, ne the next five, like, the next five is going to be nuts. And so I'm just trying to make it through 2020 
<laughs> if I can survive this year, if my homies can survive this year and the people I'm working with can survive this year, which is the fucking most nuts year for sure. most of us has experienced, yeah. uh, we can fucking do anything. And so yeah. I'm really hyped. I like that. 21. Yeah. Really hyped. I love it. I love, cool. I love it. Man. Yeah, I mean, this is, yeah. The Memphis is, is uh, you know, changing for sure. Mm. Is it changing for the better? Who knows? <laughs> I hope Who so. Knows? I hope so. Um, um, this was great, man. I mean, we ran we ran pretty long. We've talked for over an hour, but I, I this has been a yeah. total blast. And I love chatting with you about it and hearing um, what's been going on. Yeah, can't can't wait to see what's next. Uh, when you can talk about it. Yeah, yeah. man, we got to get you back <laughs> on and do do this do this we'll more. Do a follow I think. up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if if you if you'll take our call. Yeah, yeah that's right. I'm always rocking. I'm always rocking. Uh, awesome. No, I appreciate it. I was a joke. Uh, every time somebody does an interview with me, I'd be like, all right, I hope you got an hour because that's what it's going to be. <laughs> I use all of it, but that's just how it's going to happen. <laughs> for sure. For sure. That's awesome. Head. Well, we'll keep you posted. We'll get this uh, going uh, for our next uh, show if we can cram it all together. And Yeah, we're trying to, trying, to, trying to cut something in for that show that we're doing on the 28th. Um, so, uh, and, and like I said, I... I almost think we might wind up with a couple different pieces and have this sort of par- parceled out. So we might get a might get a little bit then and then something coming afterwards. But uh, this is great, man. Yeah, love chatting with you. Yeah. Good seeing you. Thanks, Same. Lawrence. Uh, I'm, I'm awesome. gonna y'all in the loop for the things that are going on. Do man, I can't wait Please to hear do. about it. Yeah, man. All right. All, All right. right. Take care. Get Take it. it easy, Lawrence. Bye. Right. All right. That was good. That was great. So, uh, you get the job of uh, editing this down into something. Yeah, I'll 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 kind of go through and get topics and try to shoot you stuff and see what makes sense. Yeah. I could shoot you the whole thing. Um, it'll be like on Google Drive if you want to make notes okay. on on what you liked. Um, that that would probably help. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I thought that talking about that Memphis stuff at the end, I thought was really good. Very I mean, good. Yeah. Uh, you know. The talking about the hub or something like that would it was was cool too because it's his stuff. We might have to edit piecemeal some of that stuff out, but um, I mean, there's a bunch of I don't know. I thought all I thought a lot of that was fascinating. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he he's uh, he's good. He is, all right, he I'm gonna check good. it out. And make sure it's not echoey, and then I'll kill myself. I hope it worked. All right, yeah. all right man. All I'll right. talk to you later. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye.